Welcome to Space Nerds, your source for intergalactic science fiction and science facts. Engines primed, engage! I'm Andy. I'm Sarah. I'm Doug. And I'm Jesse. And we are the Space Nerds Star Trek Club. Yeah! Star Trek! We're meeting every week to talk about season one of Star Trek Discovery. Woo! Get ready for Star Trek Club! To share your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery, email us at spacenerdspodcast at gmail.com. We are Space Nerds! Choose your pain! What's the pain you want? Choose it right now! Choose your pain! Will you get hit or I get hit or they get hit? We all get hit! Choose your pain! I'm not hurt, don't touch me! Choose your pain! Surprise, attack! I will escape! Ah, woo! <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> That's all I got. Uh, Inspired by Jesse's uh, ideas. Well, thank mm-hmm. you. Yes. Credit where credit is due. I wanted, to, I, wanted to, I wanted to join in the singing, and then we learned very quickly that, like, I'm not good improv singer. I want to plan shit, and it just ruins <laughs> everything, so I just shut my mouth. But then- you know what would be interesting, this is making me think, is, like... At the end of of every season of something we watch, you mean you could think up a really short song and we could produce it. Yeah. More, more work for you. Woo-hoo! More work for me. Hooray. Welcome to Star Trek Club. <laughs> yeah. Episode five yeah. of Discovery. Choose your pain. And let's start things on a positive Choose note today. Choose your pain. Wow, Doug, you got Catchy. a tune going. That's impressive. Let's start things on a positive note. Let's hear from Doug first. Doug, what did you think of this episode? It's terrible. Oh, no. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. I like it. <laughs> I'm not. I like it. Okay. Yeah, it's tell us grim. more. It's this, this, to me, is it's probably the darkest Star Trek episode that up till this point in time we had seen, because I do yeah. believe they go slightly darker uh, in the upcoming ones, but not as consistent. We're like, mm. you know, the, 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 the a story or the B story, the one of the, one of the main lines of the story was, you know, prison torture. So, yeah. sure. and you know, they've done dark things. I mean, they, they locked miles up in brain jail for 500 years. That's fucked up. Yeah. But this was like, you know, pretty explicit like hey look at this guy getting kicked in the face oh you can hear people screaming in the background yeah and then i guess Lorca's torch is bad but it's mostly like let's just shine bright lights on him so that's maybe not as <laughs> grim and graphic but it definitely looked like it sucked for him it makes me um, think i will that- say eye pain is really bad yeah <laughs> like yeah it, it, it hurts more than it looks like wait Torch. what's really bad eye pain eye pain yeah yeah sarah's an expert on eye pain yeah, and I mean, they did the whole, like, you know, Clockwork Orange prop his eyes open, so yeah. that's... Horrible. They weren't fucking around. No. It makes me um, think so of that, that TNG. That, to me, is the the worst part of it, is just the general grimness of it and the darkness of it. Yeah. Um, but I don't personally hold, uh, uh, similar to, I think, Jesse primarily, of, like, I want Star Trek to... Not, not that you want Star Trek to be these certain things, but that... Star Trek historically had not been certain things, and mm-hmm. this is definitely going against that. Um, for me, that's not as big of an issue. You know, what, what, um, what things in, in particular is this going against? Do you think for Star Trek? 
Oh, just that it's that it that it's that it's that it's a dark themed episode. That it's you know it's it's fairly explicitly violent, and mm-hmm. uh, we get to see more insight into kind of what a real real cockhead this captain is. You know, where he like at the end of it, I'm not saying Mud's a good guy. He's definitely a bad person. But then the captain is like, well, you suck it and stay here in jail. Like, that's not that's not the Starfleet way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you get to see you, we're, we're starting to really get into the into the into the, the so-called grimdark version of Star Trek. That in and of itself, Star Trek being portrayed as having dark shadows and and darker elements of it, that in and of itself doesn't bother me. Mm. What tends to bother me in shows is if things are gratuitous or lingering and, you know, so there's there's brief moments of this show where for my money, I was like, eh, I don't need to see a tiny little spurt of blood when someone gets kicked in the face. Like, right. I know that a boot is coming down, you can pan away. I'll figure out the rest of it when I hear the the crunching noise, you know, and I don't need to see you know, the you know the the space bear stabbed in the tits every time they want to teleport somewhere. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I I get it that that what they're doing is they're torturing a sentient creature, one sentient creature, in order to save 134 sentient people. You know, mm-hmm. it's. I do like that the wrestling with that that moral thing, but it's the lingering on the 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 suffering and the pain uh, that is usually a, a line for me. It's why like I just don't watch horror movies at all. Like mm-hmm. I'm not a horror movie fan. I don't watch any of that kind of stuff S- because suffering for entertainment is a difficult thing for me to to consume. And I I get that in some storytelling suffering is important and so to me how it's portrayed and who it's portrayed against and the consequence of it all that all of that is is very important for me so um knowing kind of where the story goes though i really really enjoy uh the the building that's happening here and some of the the foreshadowing that's happening and some of the scenes that didn't make as much sense to me the first time through kind of are clarified now that I know kind of the, the, the twists that come about. And also um, some of the scenes take on a whole different level knowing some of the information that comes out later, which I think yeah. is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Andy, you so. were going to say this reminded you of a Next Generation episode. Were you going to say the one where Picard is captured and tortured by the Cardassians? Totally. Yeah, t- tell me oh, more. Oh, no. Uh, is it the... Yeah, it is the Cardassians. Yeah, yeah, where he's like, how many lights are there? Yes. <laughs> and that, honestly, it's I think it's, yeah. it is, and I think it is the most graphic I had ever seen Star Trek before Discovery. Yeah. Uh, yes. I feel like that episode is the, the the torture is really intense and feels very real. And when he's hung by his arms and I, but the but the bright lights did make me think about that. Um, and it's funny that you bring up what is Star Trek historically and what's not. Um, and for me, it's like where I run into a little bit of trouble then the way I think about it is whether it feels Starfleet or not. Cause I'm okay with the show 
going in different directions and showing the dark sides and but I feel like Starfleet the whole point of Starfleet and the whole point of the prime directive is to have this mission right and this mission that is specifically to not interfere with other species and other cultures now I guess the issue is so what I'm leading up to is is my issue around the way they treat the space bear Right. <laughs> and that that until they establish whether it was sentient, it doesn't remind me of Starfleet to just torture it and not care how it interferes with that species or that individual. You know, I mean, I know that they haven't established that it's sentient, but I, I feel like it's Starfleet protocol to establish that before you make any extreme use of a species you know yeah and that's the kind of thing that i do like about this episode where it is starfleet is presented as like here this is like the pinnacle of humanity in terms of competence ethics morality science you know everything that is the the best and the brightest about humanity Mm -hmm. and and that's that's i think that's a wonderful interesting aspirational show to do but i also really like discovery for saying like okay okay that utopia is nice but what happens you know if you know utopia is under an existential threat are there Uh people who live within the utopia who will be willing to bend those rules or stretch them And and i feel like the first season of discovery at its best is is exploring some of those avenues and i think this happens this episode does do that and it does it in an explicit manner where previous ones i think had only just sort of been hinting around at the edges of it so that's sure that's yeah. one of the things that i do like about this of of showing like oh saru suddenly when he's in charge he's like nope we're doing things you know he becomes a, a lorca style hard ass as soon as he gets the captain's chair sure. and then then seems to me to regret it at the end like he yeah. realizes like oh fuck it is i i screwed up here i did not hold to what I think are better ideals. Yeah, I I struggled with Saru's arc in this one only because this is so early to the start of the series. Um, We don't know these characters yet and we don't know where their lines Mm -hmm. of morality are Mm -hmm. and we haven't gotten any background information about Starfleet of this period because this is a period we haven't seen before, 10 years before the original series. Yeah. Right. And, And we don't understand... The Starfleet of this era. So yeah, I mean, a, a lot of, I've said this before, but I feel like this story told in a later season would have resonated more because you would have had a frame of reference for what's happening versus just like being thrown into this confusing situation where you don't understand the morality of any of the characters and the show really leans into that. Mm. That being said, I did enjoy this. Well, I don't, I, w- I didn't necessarily, I don't enjoy this episode. Like I don't like it. I don't like watching it, but I do think it was better than I thought it was the first time. Hmm. Because the first time I was just not following it. There was so much that was confusing me. One of the biggest things was I was like, what happened in the beginning? Like, Lorca's on a shuttlecraft and gets picked up, but like, why was he on that shuttle? What I didn't understand the first time is that there's like an external shot of this star base, like the war council that happens in the beginning with Admiral Cornwell and all these other people is not on Discovery. And I did not get that the first Mm -hmm. time. That Lorca was like going to a war council in a shuttlecraft and then he's on his way back to discovery when he gets picked up by the Klingons. Right. I just straight up had no idea that had happened. Yeah. And understanding that made the whole episode make sense in a way that it didn't before. Um, and I actually, I appreciate the themes that they're wrestling with in this episode. The idea that, you know, 
Michael is trying to stick up for this creature that they don't understand who may be conscious. And Saru is just being driven by his fear of failing in command and, you know, asking the computer to evaluate him. And I kind of like those scenes a lot. Um, And, and just realizing at the end that it doesn't matter. He just needs to like do the best he can. Like there's some really good stuff there. And Saru kind of ignoring the Starfleet ideals about protecting this tardigrade, but then having these other people on the crew kind of step up and try to protect Ripper, you know, against his wishes. And it makes several of the people on the crew more likable. It makes Saru sort of less likable, but then he comes around in the end. Yeah. Um, I kind of like that stuff, that that B plot. But the A plot, the choose your pain A plot, I just find to be, um, it's, it's just not, it's not like stylistically, it's not what I like. Uh, I, it's just like presented in a way that I just kind of find unenjoyable. It's not that I think that it's necessarily as bad as I once thought it was. I just don't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. What I mean, yeah. How, yeah. What about you guys? Like, how about you, Sarah? What did you, what did you think of this episode? You know, for me, I actually followed this episode pretty well. Like, I feel like this is one of the first episodes I really understood everything that was going on because I felt like it was pretty. To me, it was pretty clear what was happening all the time. I completely agree with, like, I'm not a fan of, like, torture for entertainment. I thought that whole... So, actually, you know what? I first thought that, like... What's his, the captain's name? Lorca? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I first thought that that was, like... He was in cahoots with the... Um, wow, I'm forgetting everyone's name. With the... Um, what's the bad guys? The Klingons? Thank you. I was like... Crack it in my head. I'm like, they're not the crack it. <laughs> that works. I was like, ooh, he went to this thing and he got abducted by the crack the Kraken. Oh my gosh, the Klingons. <laughs> Beware the Kraken. <laughs> <laughs> by the Klingons, but it's actually a setup and he's been like with them the whole time. And mm, he's actually that right? guy's like, surprise, you guys, mm. I'm actually a Klingon. He's gonna rip off his skin mask or something. <laughs> and I was like, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like what how I you're thinking. Really- I like how you're thinking. Let's yeah. just say that right? for now. Thank you. But then I was like, oh, it's episode five. They would not reveal that so early. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, wait. Too soon, Sarah, but not impossible. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I, I actually like. I didn't. I, I liked this episode, and not in like a like a whoa, that was amazing, but just to like, okay, I followed. I followed what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I got some more character insight on people, whether I liked it, you know, but I was like, okay, like, I do understand Saru a little bit more, and, like, okay, I do see where, like, Michael's coming from a little bit more, and, like, I, okay, now there's this, like, doctor guy who we now, okay, so now that gives Anthony's rap characters, like, makes me more interested, because, like, oh, okay, you, like, have more of an emotional arc or, like, ties than I knew. Sure. Mm -hmm. So, I think it was, like, a fine episode. We learned that they can't jump that way anymore. And I felt bad for the little creature. What do we call it? The Tard- little... the tardigrade ripper? Space bear? Yeah, wow, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, I felt bad for them, but I'm so glad they got to go away. That was really cute at the end. Um, but, yeah, I... I I didn't mind this episode, I think, just because I was like, yes, I get it. It's the first episode mm. that I'm like, I don't feel like I have any questions. It all makes sense to me. Mm. 
nothing like super big happened plot point wise i feel like we got a lot of exposition of things yeah. like maybe to come but i'm like i don't really it just kind of felt like a filler episode almost yeah that's so funny i, yeah. I agree with that and it's funny rewatching it you actually see how it's crucial to the plot yeah but it's so not cannot... the filler episode it comes across as the first time through totally the first time it really comes across as filler and this yeah. the first time watching this show this episode was a turning point for me where i was like i don't think i like this show at all like i was really into the first two episodes and then the second two i was like i don't know about this and then the fifth episode was like i do know and it's a no <laughs> i do know now and i don't like it but th- it's not i mean there's really is a lot of movement happening in this episode that is just completely hidden from the first time viewer that right. is crucial to the plot the second time through. And I love, I love stuff being hidden in plain sight in shows. Uh, and I feel like this, this show does a terrible job of it. And we'll talk about that when we get further into the episode of like dropping hints about where the story is going. And, you know, I know that Sarah loves spoilers and there's a part of me that wants to like, just break out the spoilers, but I feel, I would feel guilty because I hate yeah. spoilers and I feel like <laughs> it's against my moral code to give Sarah the spoilers now, even though she might want them. But I'll just say that, I'll Let's just say hold that, that like the lot was, a lot is set up here. Um, but uh, there are some like great moments like when they steal that ship at the end when ash tyler and captain Lorca steal that ship and the ship just looks fucking cool and kind of reminds me of you know joey in space in the beginning of the lost in space movie when they have those cool (laughs) ships um it it reminded me of the style of those ships a little bit and then them kind of escaping the klingons is this exciting moment when the discovery finds them and uh and not not knowing if the jump is going to work or not because the tardigrade has expelled all of its water and turned into an angry spiky ball um and yeah i mean the i don't know there's some really exciting moments. there's more good stuff here than i remembered there being and i i kind of like i wanted to hate this episode and i i came out of it kind of lukewarm and the more i think about it the more i'm like you know what there's more here that i liked and I look at me being positive now i didn't expect this i thought i was gonna start talking about it and hate it but like as i'm talking about it, i'm like yeah there's stuff i like here yeah. rain wilson was really great in this episode too i think I think I would have disliked the Klingon prison ship part of it had it not been that level of, like, I don't know, a fun uh, portrayal by Rain Wilson, which is also uh, a nod to uh, TOS. It's a character that we haven't seen on screen for, you know, whatever, 50 years. Yeah, so for for Sarah and Andy, who haven't seen the original series, Harcourt Fenton Mudd, a.k.a. Harry Mudd, is a recurring sort of pesky villain from the original series he's kind of like the q of the original series except Mm -hmm. he has no space magic he's just really obnoxious yeah he's a thief and a liar and he's portrayed like he's very fey but he's sort of like also he's like a fey cowboy in a way he he's very flamboyant he wears this giant floppy hat (laughs) and his plans are always just like you know, thievery and lying and everyone, everyone is against him. And why can't anyone believe this, you know, wonderful, honest merchant is just trying to do these things. And it's, I mean, he's a delightful character. It's, he was in a, in a very weird TOS, uh, amongst a a litany of weird TOS things. He is a real high point for the series. Yes. And TOS meaning the original series. That's like the Star Trek fan shorthand. And, you know, that was in the 60s. And Harry Mudd is very much like, a, I'll get you next time, see? Like, he's very 60s. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, 
I, I will. I will. I love Rain Wilson. I mean, having Dwight Schrute in Star Trek was a real joy when I heard about it, and I still feel kind of lukewarm about Harry Mudd in Discovery, and it's mostly because of the writing. I just the the, the writing to me is just a, a hair on like the the a hair generic and a hair like clunky i mean i feel like the dialogue in this whole episode is a little clunky like the worst moment for me is when um when michael and tilly are in the mess hall (laughs) i was gonna and she's like what's wrong with you today and she's like oh i'm i'm distracted or whatever it was it was just like the worst you look terrible and you look it pans to michael and she looks exactly the same as she always looks there isn't a single hair out of place you know it's like uh okay but then whatever she says is just so weird and forced and like that's not how people speak and i'm trying to remind myself that she's like uh, raised by vulcans trying to fit in with humans but she's had years to to fit in with humans on the shenzhou so she feels like, I, and she regressed because she's had this recent trauma of losing Captain Giorgio. But like, I just don't quite, I just don't quite get the characterization of Michael yet. I also think that about Tilly, honestly, and I'm waiting to fall back in love with Tilly. But like, there, the dialogue when they're about to send the tardigrade in back into space, and it like comes into the scene, and Tilly's just going like. <laughs> what is she saying? She's like quoting something. But there's poetry. no there's no transition from that into her just talking regularly to Michael. It's just it's like so and the sky shall envelop thee amongst the So what are we doing? It was like yeah. what the Yeah. It was so weird. I was like, what what did she just say? <laughs> yeah, and Andy's like, what's going on? And I'm just like, I don't care. Uh, you know? But then like they, yeah. they send Ripper into space and the Tardigrade like reaches out and touches the mycelial network and then yeah. zooms off into it. I'm like, yeah. oh, that's fucking cool. And sure. that explains a lot. Like, that this creature travels the mycelial network, which they had not explicitly <laughs> stated and we had not seen. Um, like, I feel like the show is... Like, we talked about this last time, how it's like, show don't tell. The show is neither showing nor telling. Yes. And this is a moment where we finally get shown something that had been sort of alluded to, but not explicitly stated. Sure. It really feels like they're cutting these episodes down to the point where, like, some of the detail of the plot is being lost. Mm. And we're just kind of... It's like, oh, well, we showed this one moment with Ripper entering the mycelial network, so... Um, that'll explain it, even though we've been dealing with this this tardigrade for like three episodes now. We finally kind of get a sense of how how it connects to the mycelial network, mm-hmm. um, which helped everything else make more sense. But then we also get this whole thing of like, we've moved the Ripper's DNA into Stamets, and now Stamets can navigate the mycelial network. And that is like another thing you have to just kind of take on faith that doesn't necessarily make any any sense logically or scientifically. It's like, that's just what's happening and we go with it. So if this were Doctor Who, that would make perfect sense, but it's not. It's Star Trek, and there's generally a little bit more attempt to make things make scientific sense until we get to Discovery. So that's still something that that I'm struggling with, but I feel like is just a stylistic choice that I don't care for that the show is making. Yeah, and I disagree with you where I feel like that they did base it on something scientific, and then it turns out that the, the science it was based on itself was flawed, and then... Of course, their, you know, abstract understanding of it is a little loosey-goosey. Sure. But that, yeah, that, that's the fair. attempt was made. It wasn't that they were just, like, picking something out of thin air, you know. Yeah. There, there was I agree with something you. here. I mean, even even little things like the, the, um, 
what is it, the horizontal DNA switch, that's something that was supposedly believed about tardigrades that turned out to not be true. Mm. You know, the stuff about tardigrades being nearly indestructible, and that's why the, the you know, this one is, is immune to lasers, and they want to use its claws because it can rip things apart. That's, you know, tardigrades are indestructible. The, the thing about losing all of its water and shrinking down, that's something that tardigrades do, where they go into this, like, hibernation that can last for fucking ever. And, and they believe that they can exist in the vacuum of space while they're in this mode. You know, there's, yeah, there's stuff apart from the, you know, you know, traveling, yeah. <laughs> teleporting I, <laughs> apart from that. There's, there is the attempt at taking weird earthbound biology that we thought we understood at one point in time and translating it into, uh, uh, Star Trek. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I do. I guess saying that there wasn't an attempt is the wrong way of saying it. I just feel like the attempt was, uh, just stylistically to me, just doesn't work. It just feels, yeah. It feels like so. It feels made up, in a or it feels like they took words from actual science and threw it into made up situations that just didn't quite track. Like if you were to compare the science to what's on screen, it's just like there's a lot of. Uh, yeah, missing threads. That yeah, I think it's something the that they. Out of me. It's something that they did in the past in Star Trek all the time, but only for like one episode. So you could be like, yeah, whatever, that's fine. We don't need to, you know, look too hard at this kind of thing. And so here, it just wound up being the centerpiece of this first season, and so we get to really swim in it and and really breathe it in and yeah. linger on it in a way. <laughs> yeah. that, that we hadn't before. And it just turns out that in this case, the science was kind of a, a big swing and a big miss, but now we're stuck with it for the whole fucking season. Yeah. But they also, they also explicitly state in this episode that the mycelial network is a subspace layer, which is really helpful. I mean, because if they had just presented all this a little differently, I think that fandom might have responded totally differently to it. Like if they'd said in the first episode, you've heard of subspace, right? It's like a, a another dimensional layer of space that we've learned we can send messages through really fast. Well, we've discovered another layer of subspace called the mycelial network that is populated by by something similar to, you know, mushroom spores back on Earth. And right. it permeates the galaxy, and and we've, we're trying to find a way to like pop into that and pop out in another place. Like, there's a way to explain that that makes more scientific sense than what they presented, and they kind of backfill it throughout the first half of the season to the point where it almost makes sense. And then yeah, when you watch it the second time, it does kind of make some sense. Whereas the first time, it's like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, yeah. This is they this they've had real structural missteps, I think, in how they handle. A, uh, a serialized show, including I've said it before, the episode links are made for like hour-long TV with commercials versus hour-long TV on streaming networks with no commercials. Sure. Yeah, I wish that they had been able to do longer episodes. They could have fit in some more sense <laughs> instead of nonsense. Um, but we also, you know, there's a lot of character stuff happening in this episode. A, a big Part of that is the introduction of Ash Tyler. Um, Sarah, what did you make of Ash Tyler, the prisoner on the Klingon ship that then escapes with Lorca? And I'll give you the spoiler that Ash Tyler will be in more of the season. <laughs> so what did you make of him and his introduction? I liked him. I, mean, yeah. I was like, oh, he's cute. And yeah. I was like, okay. And I was like, oh, like, okay, someone who, like, 
is interesting and like I don't I don't know. But then I was like, oh, what's this thing with the Klingon queen lady? I was like, that seems weird. Yeah. But like, I don't really know. I don't know. I liked him, but I was hoping that he would stay on. And so yes, I'm glad that he is. It seemed like he was. Wish I don't know, I didn't have any like strong feelings towards him, you know. But I was just like, oh, I'm in- I'm glad that there's like another person. I don't know. No one in this show so far is really like. I I like want to get to know more about their character. If that makes sense. From like sure. the way it's presented, it's like I'm not really rooting for anybody. Right. And so I'm like, okay, well, like not that I'm like rooting for him already, just because he's cute. But I'm like, oh, but I am just interested that there's a new person now, and maybe that's gonna shake things up. Yeah, and being cute and, like, doesn't hurt. He's, he's adorable. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, I still think that that's a big problem. That you, the character, most of the characters, are not presented in a way where I. I want to learn about them either. I agree with you. Except, like, Dr. Culber is still my favorite character. Um, oh, and that scene at the end with Dr. Culber and, and Paul Stamets, where you discover that they're in a relationship and they're brushing their teeth together with their sonic toothbrushes. We've never gotten to see a sonic toothbrush. We've heard about them, but we've never seen them before. Um, and that scene is so charming and makes you like Stamets a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is the the first real gay representation on star trek ever like the first substantive relationship between two people of the same gender that we've ever seen as part of the main cast on a star trek show yeah i was gonna say for recurring crew members yes you know it's funny i thought that because at the end of that scene i was like oh like they're brushing their teeth and their cool toothbrushes they're gonna like have a cute little kiss and then he left and i was like oh they didn't kiss and i was like Oh, I bet you they've never had gay people on Star Trek before. They gotta like ease their audience into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean they've like hinted at it, or like there was a handhold between a uh, main character and and his husband in one of the in the third Star Trek J.J. Abrams verse movie. And there's been some episodes like with uh, you know like a one-off episode where you know female characters were in love, or um, and there was like a. a a kiss between Jadzia Dax and another woman on Deep Space Nine, but it's all been like one-off things. Um, Yeah, and this was a big deal when it happened. I mean, this was something that was heavily advertised before the show. was like, yes, we are going to have gay representation. And for me, as someone who'd been like really, really wanting that for years, I was thrilled to see it. Even though there's no kiss in this episode. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I want to know, you know, it's funny, I right at the end of the episode when when he's looking in the mirror and that sure. freaky thing happens. Yeah. I was I said to Jesse, I remember this part and it being so eerie and freaky, and I don't remember at all what it ends up meaning. <laughs> Do you know yeah. like about what happened at, yeah. like why I was like was is there a weird lapse in time? Is there and he's and you said you were like I I don't really remember either. I, mean, I do, I do, I do. Okay, good. Someone remembers. Well, you said... I, yeah. This is... I've now seen this episode three times. It was the third time before I even noticed some weird mirror shenanigans at the end. Oh, really? Oh! Because the first time I watched it... I watched it twice this week. Um, the first time I watched it, at the end, I was like, why did they hold on the mirror for so long and play creepy music like yeah <laughs> i get it paul stamets looks like he's made out of paper and his eyeballs are like giant black beautiful pools but 
do we need to linger on that for so long? Right. And, and then this time, I watched it, and I was still like, what are they doing? Actually, so I've seen that particular scene four times, because I rewound it this time. Because I'm like, I'm, I need to know what's going on here. Then I was yeah. like, oh, shit, okay. Because it happens in a way that my brain just was like, it saw something that didn't make sense, yeah. and then my brain was just like, no, you're just missing it. Like, hmm. he's just standing there staring at himself in the mirror. Right, right. Right, as opposed to, like, he walks away, and then there's an after image that looks creepily at itself. <laughs> yes, right. Yeah. It's a spooky and ending. It's actually, it's I like spooky. it. I, I think it's really evocative. I think it's it, cool. It's a great way to end an episode. I agree. I just couldn't remember from my first watch through what it meant. Um, so I think they do explicitly say it later. And if I was watching yeah. it now without knowing the future, I would just theorize like, well, this is why you don't fuck around with tardigrade DNA and <laughs> yeah. mycelium networks. Yeah, absolutely. Because it'll drive you crazy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What was interesting to me when I saw that, <laughs> at the, that part at the end, at first I thought I was pretty much confused. And I was like, wait, did he walk away? But his reflection stayed like for some reason i thought it was some weird like sure yeah. oh he's got like an evil reflection that yeah <laughs> yeah no that's right that? that's what happened that's exactly yep. what happened oh because then i was like or wait or is this just showing that like he because he got to see the whole universe he's like got this new power and he's gonna go crazy yes. with power but maybe it's both okay i thought i was crazy but he did walk away and yes. his reflection stayed i think yeah. though that's a really good point sarah which is that do we think that he knows that that happened yeah i don't think that he knows that that happened i don't think so either but yeah i mean it's just foreshadowing the fact that, like he's got this he's got the mycelial network in his mind now and mm-hmm. and something weird is happening with his body and we'll find out more later Oh, okay, okay. So I'm glad that we talked about that because I really thought yeah. I was crazy and I just watched it wrong. Yeah. No, 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 you it's watched weird. it right. It's just weird. Um, so the episode title is "Choose Your Pain," and this is something that I get hung up on every time I watch this. This idea that um, the Klingons are asking the prisoners to choose their pain, like choose which one takes a beating to keep the prisoners from, from you know, bonding. Bonding, yeah. But I feel like it's very obvious that the opposite will happen that like forcing them to take a beating like this will kind of bring them closer together, uh, which ends up kind of happening and, you know, they break out. So I don't, does it make, does it not make sense to anyone else or is it just me? I was fine with it. It made sense to me. I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, if someone said beat this guy up, I would be mad at that person later. Sure. I feel like if there's only two people in jail, then it, then it works. But if you have more, then they're just going to gang up on someone uh, until they die, which is what happens to that first guy who's like beaten right. to death in the beginning in, a, in brutal fashion that is very difficult to watch. Right. So. I'm confused, though, when we first, because when we first show up, so then that one guy, he just never got beat up because he was always feeding information. So if, like, so if he was the only one there, would they just like not mess with him? Or if there were two people there, did the other person never get a choice? I feel like, yeah, it's hard to say. I, I feel like maybe he used feeding information as a way to avoid beatings, but if he has no information to feed and he's alone, he's going to take the beatings. But we just didn't see that because, you know, we leave him there at the end of the episode. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you can hear other prisoners in the background, so 
I feel like low occupancy is probably not one of their. Yeah, that's a good point. There's, I mean, because like Ash Tyler was there, and we didn't see him for the first half of the episode. Mm-hmm. He's just like hiding behind some pipes. So, but if you if you watch this with headphones on, it will freak you out because you'd be like, "What is going on?" Multiple times, I had to pause it and rewind. And be like, "Is that in the show, or is there someone in my studio in the hallways making noise?" <laughs> there's, oh, there's people in the background. You hear. Like, it's fucking weird you're like rosalie what's wrong what's happening (laughs) Ah! Uh, that reminds me we also learned that Lorca, his previous command of the baran oh yeah ended poorly when his ship was destroyed and he was the only survivor and then we find out that he destroyed his last ship to stop it from falling in klingon hands right and it's it's hard to imagine that happening and then him getting command of another like elite vessel that is the crucial crux of the the starfleet war effort against the klingons yeah so yeah but and we're gonna get more information about that later in the season but that's something that's like wow i don't understand how that happened either (laughs) they don't go too deep into sort of Lorca's rise to the ranks of starfleet um it's one of those things that i think they kind of paper over and you just have to roll with it yeah um my assumption has always been that Lorca was recognized as someone who was like, I will do whatever it takes, including skirting around certain Starfleet niceties in order to crush the Klingons in this war. Yeah. And that this is one of the interesting aspects of of Discovery and of the modern Star Trek, mm. which is this kind of like, yes, we would like Utopia, and we would also like to look the other way while certain people do what needs to be done to handle utopia. Hmm. And we, we may discard those people. We may pretend they don't exist, but we do use them as tools to protect and to expand this thing that we feel is better than those people that we use. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, deep space nine started this trend of kind of looking at Starfleet in a different light with, you know, section 31 and this show like really, doubles down on that in in a lot of ways um and it's something that i still i still struggle with a little bit because aspirational star trek i think is such an important thing to have as a culture and i i want the new batch of star trek shows to reach for that as well and even picard kind of tried to reach for that while at the same time saying starfleet is fucked Right. So I, I just want at least one of these shows to reach for that in a way that succeeds well, or like proves that it still exists in, in the CBS All Access era. That's, that's why I think that Colbert especially, and to a degree Stamets and Michael and uh, Tilly mm-hmm. are important because that's where you see you know these Starfleet ideals put under strain but not saying like, hey, you know what, all right, fuck it, let's let's go ahead and, and make this difficult decision that goes against our ideals in order to further protect the ideals. Like Colbert just says, like, I'm not going to be a party to this. It's very clear yeah. where he stands on the mm-hmm. issue. Yeah. And so I, I, I do appreciate I think, that a lot. Yeah. I yeah. think that what's, what's unspoken here is that Lorca blew up his own ship and they're like, dude, why'd you blow up your own ship? He's like, I didn't want my people to get tortured. They're like, Hey, this is a guy we need fighting the war, you know? Mm, okay. Okay, that that's interesting. 
Yeah, that's interesting. I love his relationship with Admiral Cornwell. We get the first taste of it here when they call each other by their first names and we get a sense of their familiarity. I love that. And you kind of get the sense that maybe her clout with Starfleet is why he got another ship because, Mm -hmm. and that might even be confirmed later. I don't remember. But, Um, but yeah, something about like, she trusts him and believes in him no matter what happened with the Baran. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I also, I think, sorry, I'm going way back now to what we were talking about sort of at the beginning, but what I struggled with is, so she is representing Starfleet in in that conference and what Starfleet wants and their directions, Right. and their directions are to go find more tardigrades, Right. and and that to me just felt so anti-Starfleet. Now, also, it could just be saying... Starfleet ended up going in a direction where it wouldn't do that, but at this time, sure, it w- it would have. But Absolutely, it just it yeah. felt like such a there was like no protocol on how to check how this was affecting the creature, how, like what type of resource this was. Like it was just like go, we need to go find more so that we can get more ships to do all of the things you know that that we need to have done during this wartime, and maybe it's more thinking about because this is in an era before the Starfleet I'm familiar with, maybe it's just thinking about um, not it being consistent with what I know of Starfleet, but maybe it's showing uh, Starfleet before its progression into what I know of Starfleet. Yeah, I think that's definitely possible. I also think that maybe the war with the Klingons is bringing out a side of Starfleet that isn't normal for the period. I mean, we see that with the, the Dominion War in Deep Space Nine. But again, like starting the show this way, having no frame of reference for the current state of Starfleet, we can't really tell based off of what the show is presenting. Mm-hmm. Um, Sarah mentioned earlier this whole thing that happened with uh, Ash Tyler basically inferring that he was being, you know, used sexually by Laurel, the, the captain of, of the Klingon ship. Um, And the first time I watched this, I was actually really intrigued by that storyline because you don't often see male characters being, you know, being used against their will that way. Um, And I was, I mean, it's obviously a horrible thing to happen to a character, but I was, I was, you know, appreciating that the show was willing to go there. And now that I know where that's going to go, it kind of, (laughs) I mean, we'll talk about that when it happens, but I feel like that's an interesting thing that's set up in this episode. How did you guys feel about that? I mean, I don't know what the storyline's going to be. So for me personally, in the time, it kind of felt like a throwaway because, but I guess she didn't die because then they like fought and she's like left on the ground screaming. Yeah, so she got burned up. So it it seem like, well, that's the end of that chapter. At least that's how it felt to me where it's like, well, he got out. That's great. So it's like, it seems like it might come back around then. I don't know. So for me, I was just like, interesting that it seemed like that was like, a moot point because it like they gave the information to us they fought for like a hot second and then they left so if it does come back i'll be interested to see what happens yeah because it just seemed like an open and a close to a story hmm, that very quickly and so i was like oh is this it for them but i'm assuming it's not after yeah you there will be that. more yeah there will be more <laughs> but it's an interesting thing to think like this klingon prisoner was kept alive because the captain likes him you know interesting yeah how long did they say that he had 
Didn't they say how He'd been there for seven months since the Battle of the Binary Stars. Right, which is just not... That just doesn't happen. They don't keep prisoners that long. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we'll learn more about this later on. Right. Um, This is also the first time that they uh, basically imply that Klingons have two dongs. Yeah. (laughs) They do? When did they do that? Well, they say that, like, they're not sexually compatible. Oh. Uh, And Lorca says that, that... humans don't have the right number of organs right and this oh. is something that's been theorized among the you know xeno pino biologists of, of <laughs> star trek fandom for years because earlier star treks have mentioned that klingons have backup organs right. for everything right ah. right including fucking <laughs> this is way off topic but i had a dream once that i had two dicks and it was what? super fun oh my god yeah I don't know. That seems seems very on topic. Sure, I guess it's on topic. I mean, yeah. Any other thoughts on Choose Your Pain? (laughs) Um, no, I don't. I don't have any. Well, I gotta say that I, I, the first time I watched this episode, I kind of hated it. This time, I, I tolerated it, and sometimes even liked parts of it. So. I de- my my opinion of it definitely rose, and I I remember the next episode being one of my favorites of the season. So I'm excited I'm excited for that because when Andy and I sat down to watch this episode yesterday, we both kind of groaned over it. We're like, oh, okay, I guess we'll watch Discovery. Um, but it wasn't as this one wasn't as bad as as my first experience with mm. it. So let's just kick off the ratings. I think I'm going to give this one like a five and a half. I I don't hate it. Um, it's pretty mediocre in my opinion. There's some things that I really don't like about it and some things that I do like more that kind of balance out to give me a sort of middling experience of five and a half. Uh-huh. Who's next? What do you think? Andy, what do you think? I, I'm sticking with my fives. I've been going fives the past three episodes and I feel like this is just in the same range. Like, I, I don't love it and I don't hate it and I... I uh, yeah, I think it all kind of... I, I think it lives in the range of the other previous two that, that we watched. And I do, I just want to say, I know I'm going to get out of the five range. Like I, I do remember really enjoying certain episodes more. I just don't think we're quite there. Yeah. Um, but, and the torture makes it hard for me. Cause I, I don't have much of a stomach for that, but um, yeah. So five. Yeah. What about you, Doug? Um, I think this would normally be a pretty solid seven episode for me. But that I'm, I, I drop it down to a six, also because of like the explicitly graphic nature of, of certain scenes. That is just for me is like, yeah, I understand that you're trying to be like, ooh, we're modern streaming <laughs> HBO stuff. But I mean, it's what I don't like about modern streaming HBO stuff as well. You know, mm. you know, yeah. I love Westworld, but Jesus Christ, I don't need to see explicitly bullets flying through people to understand what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I bailed on that show after the first season. I just couldn't take anymore. <laughs> but that surprises me, Doug. That's lower than I would have expected. And we're well, close. Well, you and I are close on this one. Yeah, I mean, well, like I said, normally this would be a seven because that's like a that's a workaday, solid, getting the job done Star Trek episode, which mm. I feel like in all other aspects, this really does, you know, and it, it's got, you know, a, a lot of the things that I love about Star Trek and then the, the stuff that I don't love about anything, which is watching, explicitly watching suffering for minimal reason, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so, so Doug, 
on this podcast feed, we've been putting out our old Doug Space Nine live stream conversations that uh, we started doing that right after, right around the time that Discovery came out, and I was like really down on Discovery. <laughs> yeah. The last episode of Doug Space Nine that that was put out on the podcast feed featured the episode Battle Lines with the Ennis and the Null Ennis and Jonathan oh. Banks. That episode that's just terrible, and I gave it like a two. So yeah, yeah. Um, so so far, <laughs> is, I haven't even that gone just- that low on Discovery, but we'll see grim yeah that is just like ugh. this just that episode just has like no redeeming qualities what if everyone had to die over and over again for no reason would that be bad yeah that would be bad yeah and what if thanks we, like, for the lesson star trek <laughs> and what if we like throw away a really cool side character for no reason and, and so like, even in these even i say that because like even in these discovery episodes um and I still maintain that the first season of of Deep Space Nine is far better than first season of Discovery, but uh, but there's still redeeming stuff in every episode of Discovery. Like yeah. there's still yeah, yeah. some things that are fun to watch, or some production values that are really enjoyable, or some ship designs or whatever that are really sure. cool to see. And it's not it's not like not it's not unwatchable, I guess. Right. Whereas and there's the- nothing we haven't seen anything as nihilistically empty as Battle Lines. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um. Yeah, all that to say, check out the Doug Space Nine episodes on the Space Nerds podcast because they they're so fun to revisit. Doug, I know I know you don't listen to yourself, but I I'd never re-listened to those since we live streamed them, and now that I'm putting them out on the podcast feed, I'm listening to them for the first time just to like double check that nothing needs to be cut out. And they're so fun to listen to. Like I, you know, I love it. I can't wait till we get back to doing uh, doing those. Like we've been really spreading them out now, <laughs> doing them yeah. live. Um, in large part because I really want to get caught up uh, so that we're not like putting out year and a half old conversations. Yeah. Fair. Um, but also like now we can't be in the same room together, but I don't know. I've been, every time I listen to one of those, I'm like, we should try to figure out a way to do another because <laughs> they're so fun. Yeah. But anyway, that will continue. Maybe we'll try it socially distanced at some point, but uh, this episode of Meta Mercury was brought to you by Jesse and Doug. Th- there you go. Uh, Sarah, what do you rate this episode? it's funny i actually rated this like a seven wow but i think it's just because it was one of the first episodes that i just i fully understood everything that was going on i didn't feel like i needed questions so as like a new person coming to this for the first time i think i rate it higher just because i was like okay like yes it kind of just seemed like a filler piece but it's the first time i feel like i understand a little bit of the world we're in that's so interesting yeah, because the first time I watched this, I didn't understand it at all. And like rewatching, I'm like, oh, I missed a lot. I just didn't get it. it. This show is so inconsistent in how it presents the information of what is happening that I feel like each individual person is going to pick up different things. And I, I think that that is great in a show like, uh, or, or in like movies like Star Wars, where there's like, you know, there's fun things to think about and look into. But it's not good in the case of this show, where important plot points are just easily missable but i'm impressed that you picked up as much as you did i'm impressed that you understood this episode sarah thanks you know i was too I was <laughs> especially because i watched it this morning like i woke up and then was like oh yeah i gotta watch this and then i just laid in bed and watched it and i was like oh, okay like i feel like and maybe that's because there wasn't like any huge like added things that happened or like huge uh plot points you know and like so maybe that's why it made more sense because there wasn't really like a huge thing that's setting up or maybe i mean or i guess there was it sounds like there was but they just didn't do a good job of 
doing that. Like, I'm sure when we get to the future, and then I'll go back and be like, oh, I'll be like, you guys, be like, oh, now I totally understand what this episode really had to offer. But for now, just that's kind of like a exposition piece. I'm like, you know what? I'm I'm with it. I under I'm proud of myself, so I think the episode lucked out, and that's why it gets a higher score because I feel good. Yeah, interesting. Sure. Yeah, it's like it, by comparison, this was watchable for you, so it gets a higher score. Mm. Yeah, I still think the pacing was kind of slow at times. Like, but I but I did feel like the pacing was more consistent for the first time. And I think maybe that's why it was easier to watch, too, because it never, like, to me, it never, like, really dragged. And maybe yeah. that's because when we were on the ship, people were getting tortured, you know, which is, yeah. like, not, I don't enjoy that. But at the same time, there never was a time where I was like, oh, you know, I think I'm going to go make a sandwich now because I don't really, like, they're talking so slow, like, I I can't follow. So Yeah, interesting. Yeah, totally. Well, I I love doing this. You guys are so fun to chat with. And for the listeners out there, I you know, I always want to hear from the listeners. I would love to hear your opinions on these episodes and, you know, if you want to write to us, I will bring your emails to the group to Star Trek Club so we can discuss them together. You can always reach out to us at spacenerdspodcast@gmail.com. at com. Um and yeah, so much fun. Thank you guys. Always a pleasure, my friends. I'll reach out. <laughs> All right, guys. Next time we got episode six, Leth or Lethe. I don't remember how it's pronounced, but it's a good, it's one that I liked more on the first viewing. I'm excited about it. Yay! Until next time, stay nerdy out there. Stay choosy out there. <laughs> Space Nerds is listener funded through Patreon. To support the show and gain access to bonus content, sign up at patreon.com slash Space Nerds Podcast. If you love this show, help us spread the word by sharing it on your favorite social media platform or leaving us a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you can find our show. If you have a question or comment you'd like the Space Nerds to discuss in the next episode, email us at spacenerdspodcast at gmail.com. To browse our complete library of episodes or check out my sci-fi synth-pop music and music videos, visit my website at jessemercury.com. Keep it spacey, baby!